stand and let's pray before we get into the text. Lord Jesus, it's so humbling to see your spirit at work among people, and we thank you. And we ask for more of that, Lord. We ask that more people would come to know you. We ask that all of us would grow in maturity in you, Jesus, being more and more conformed to your image. Please help us, Holy Spirit. We can't do this on our own, but we know that you love doing this, so we ask you continue to do so more and more and do it through this message as well as we open up your word. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. So for the first slide, got who here recognizes this right it's a classic okay what's what's his name Mowgli right Mowgli and I remember love watching this cartoon when I was a kid you know he goes and I think he battles a tiger I already kind of forget I forget what happened uh yeah let's go back to Mowgli but uh I loved 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 this story uh and I know someone who works at the church is like Mowgli oh that's that's my favorite character that's my childhood right uh and so I said yeah come to English service you'll hear all about it but um, but, you know, I started reading about this concept of feral children. It's kids that end up growing up, uh, you know, away from humans with animals. <clears throat> and it's actually extremely heartbreaking. Uh, oftentimes, you know, they run away maybe from a bad family or maybe their parents die and they just kind of survive with animals. But depending on how long and at what age they get rescued and how long they live with the animals, uh, a lot of these kids, when they get discovered, right, and it happens. There's people that live for years with, with animals. Uh, these kids, they never, they never learn how to talk, right? They could even live amongst humans. They never learn how to talk. Uh, but even if they do learn how to talk, they remain very socially impaired. And, and you know, you could read about it, but they, they remain profoundly disabled, quote-unquote. Profoundly disabled. Uh, you know, they, they're biting people. They, they kind of imitate what the animals that they were raised by did. And as I was reading about these, I just, I just realized it like burned into my mind the importance of being raised by human beings. And you think, well, obvious, that's obvious, right? But it really, really makes an enormous difference. And it's very disabling, it's very detrimental to not be around people in that early childhood to learn language, to learn social interactions and behavior. And, and these, you know, again, they, they copy, you know, they flap their hands as if they're the birds, right? Because they grew up with just birds around them in the room. Why do I bring up this idea of feral children? Because, as we've said before, 1 Corinthians 12 is all about the church and about the church as Christ's body. You see, the church, it's a group of Christians, right? It's a society of Christians living together. It's us right here, right now. Turn around, take a look. You're looking at the church. Look, at, look into the eyes of the church. That's the church. It's us. It's not something out there. It's me and you right here, right now. And today, as I am sure, as always, the world is feeding us lies about what church it really is. And the danger is if we get our idea of church wrong, we will not be able to live according to God's design for our life. And 
the, the extreme danger is like becoming a spiritual Mowgli. That's the most extreme form, right? Where we think we're one thing, but we're actually something else, right? He thought he was a wolf, but he was actually a human. And if we as Christians, if we don't live amongst other Christians, among other humans, so to speak, right? We're going to have an incorrect idea of who we are and our spiritual growth will be stunted. Now, I understand I might be preaching to the choir here because you're all at church, right? You're not out there somewhere. You, you came today. But I think it's still relevant to all of us because, let's be honest, sometimes church feels like a sacrifice, doesn't it? Can, can the honest people raise their hand? Like, sometimes it's like, it, you know, like, ah, oh, I don't want to get out of bed, you know. But son, you're the pastor, right? So it's, sometimes it feels like a sacrifice going to church. Sometimes engaging with other people, you're just like, oh, I'm just feeling so introverted today, right? But you feel like that every day, right? It's okay. Get out of your comfort zones. It doesn't seem appealing. And also, I know that even if we never struggle with this, I'm sure we know other Christians who really, really do. And maybe they're, they're, they're out there right now. They're not in church. They're, they're just kind of amongst wolves, right? They're, they're the spiritual Mowgli. And I'm sure that God wants to use us to help them come back in and live the way God designed us as Christians to live. So I think this message is very important for all of us, especially nowadays, because this idea of like the solo Christian, right, is so popular. And, and, it, and it's enabled even more through technology, right? I could watch the church service. I could read my Bible. I could listen to sermons, podcasts. I could have my whole we think our whole Christian experience online in the palm of my hand, but that's not true. It's a lie. Um, we can't just be floating around on our own. Those people essentially are on their path to becoming a spiritual Mowgli. And we read in Ephesians 2, before God saved us, we were what? Spiritually, what were we, church? Dead. We were spiritually dead, right? And if a Christian, if the only people that he or she interacts with all the time are spiritually dead people, who are they going to imitate? Those who are spiritually dead, right? And it's the same exact thing. That's why the Word of God actually tells us, exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So when we break away from God's design for us, for his people, we become, we start becoming like these feral children spiritually. Our development, our growth is stunted and, and it's heartbreaking, right? Humans only develop normally with other humans. Christians only develop normally with other Christians. I know there's exceptions and people that get saved in Muslim countries through dreams. And we're not talking about that. We're talking about here in our world. It's essential that all Christians be a part of a local church. And unfortunately, in our consumeristic society that we live in, church has essentially just become another optional feature of Christianity, hasn't it? Like, that, that's the way we look at it. It's like, meaning, hey, if it helps you, you know, going to church on Sunday, if you feel like it that morning on that particular Sunday, then by all means, go and do it, right? If you feel like it, it helps you, awesome. 
But we're going to see in 1 Corinthians 12, this is not the way God looks at church. The church is not what the world makes it to seem to be. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to learn a lot about God's church. But right before that, I want to talk about what is the church, right? The church, it's a community of people that have been redeemed by Jesus. And it exists in its universal form, meaning all people across all history of the world, throughout the whole world. That's the universal church, or the official term, the Catholic church, right? It's, it's the, the church of all believers, not Catholic, Roman Catholic, but Catholic as in universal. That's what that word actually means. Fun fact, right? Um, so, but then there's the local church, us, right here now, and all the other gatherings that are gathering today. And we gather to worship Jesus together and to, and to live life together. And there is nothing in this world that has a community like the church. There, there's nothing. And it's because of what Christ has done. Guys, I'm here to remind you, Jesus came to this world and he purchased us with his blood. This is the gospel. He has paid a great price for all of us. He came and per lived the perfect life that none of us could live, and he died for every single one of us, and he redeems us from the wrath of God by paying that price, and now he has given each of us new life. And now we stand before him, but also before one another. So, with that being said, let's read 1 Corinthians, and we'll start with verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, some of you might be sitting there and thinking, oh yeah, we're going to get into the debate about tongues and prophecies, and I just want to disappoint you right away. We're not going to do that, right? That, that would probably take a good five sermons to go through this in detail, right? But there is this debate between what we call continuationalists, those who say the miraculous tongues, such as prophecy, gifts, and healing, it continues to this day. And then there's the cessationalists from the word ceased, stopped, who say, no, they, have, they were there for a period of time, they have served their purpose, but they have stopped. I don't have time to unpack this. The one thing I do want to say is there are godly, honest men whom I love and respect who are on both sides of the debate. That doesn't mean both of them are right, right? But our church's official position is that the miraculous gifts have ceased, and there are really strong reasons for that. So at, for the sake of time, I'm going to just leave it at that. I'm not going to dig into that, but I want to go to the next slide and go into verse 7. It says, to each that's to each of us, the body of Christ, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So what do we learn here? 
that the purpose of the gifts are not primarily for ourselves. It's for the common good. It's for the well-being of everyone else, right? You see, the Corinthians, just like us, and we think this way. I thought this way. We think the gift, since it's given to me, it's for me, right? I want to know what my gifting is. It's like, you know, we take personality tests in psych- secular psychology, and then we take spiritual gift tests in Christian uh, circles, right? But it's the same thing. You want to learn about just who I am and, and who am I, and it's all about me, 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 me. But the Word of God flips it completely on its head and says, no, your gift isn't about you. In fact, your gift, it's through you, but it's not to you. The purpose of each of our gifts is for the common good, which means that me and all of my gifts is not about me. It's about you all. Your gifts are not all, it's, they're not about you. They're about the rest of us for the common good. And this flies in the world of, it flies in the face of what the world is saying, that your gift is about you, church is all about you, right? Church, we need to unlearn all these bad ideas that have been forced into our head. The world wants to make it seem as if church is all about me, right? Church is just another business, and as long as its services are useful to you, then by all means, come on Sundays, right? But as soon as you find something more interesting, as soon as you find something more useful for yourself, go there instead. Here's a challenging question for all of us, church. When's the last time that I came to church, not primarily for myself, I'll explain what I mean by that word primarily, but for the common good of someone else. When's the last time I came to church thinking and praying, Lord, help me be a blessing to somebody today when I come to church. Help me serve someone in just some small way. Maybe just saying hi to someone that no one said hi to. Maybe it's just listening to someone, just hearing them out. Maybe they're having a hard time. When's the last time we came to church with that kind of prayerful state? I'm not saying it's wrong to want to go to church for ourselves. No, it's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing we have an appetite for fellowship, for God's word. It's great, but it's, that's not the full picture. It can't only be about us. It's about the common good. Now, the next thing I want to point out is every community has something that's in common, right? It's literally baked into the word, common, community. Now, if there's nothing shared in common, then there is no community. Are you following me, right, church? Nothing shared in common, there is no community. There has to be something shared in order for the community to exist. Now notice verse, if we can go to the next slide, verse 4. There's a varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There's a varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but the same God. Yes, we all have different functions. Yes, we all have different roles. He's saying, yes, you Corinthians, you all have different gifts, and that's good and beautiful and all. But our commonality, notice, is who? It's the Trinity. The Trinity 
It's not just God, it's the Trinity. And I literally realized that just right now, so it must be from God, right? That the Trinity is the perfect example of unity. It's three persons, one God nature. And it's the Trinity that holds us all in common, the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God. God is our commonality. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is what we have in common. And it's the same spirit that lives in every single one of us. It's not like different spirits. You've got the spirit of this. You've got the spirit of that. You've got the spirit of wisdom. No, we have the same exact spirit. The same spirit that talks to me, that lives inside me. Not, I don't hear an audible voice. So just in case you're expecting that, the same spirit that I live with, that I commune with, is the same spirit that you commune with and live with. The church is incredibly diverse. And the more diverse a community is, the harder it is, right, to hold that community together. And yet, despite all of our extreme diversity, we are all united by one spirit. Our common denominator for the math people, is God, right? More specifically, the spirit. Think about any other community, sports club, right? It's all about that sport, right? Soccer, a gaming group, right? It's that game, right? That, that sh common entertainment, right? Coworkers, it's that common work, common activities. Neighbors, common location. War veterans, it's the common experience. It's that shared struggle, and, and it's very powerful, all of these commonalities, they hold people together, but as soon as someone finds a different form of entertainment, they're, they're, kinda, they're not really part of that community anymore, right? They move on. If they get a different job or they move locations, right? As soon as that commonality is gone, it stops, it, it begins to lose kind of that unifying power it had over those people. There are people that I used to work with that I still stay in touch with, but that's because I found something deeper to be united with, something else in common. But we, as the church, despite how incredibly diverse we are, how different all of us are, we are united by the gospel and by God himself. Now, you might be thinking, okay, I get your point. I'll give you a very super practical application of this truth. When we struggle to understand or to feel connected to another Christian. I don't care for what reason. Instead of focusing on our differences, many of which are placed there by God himself, we need to go back to our one commonality, that is God himself. That is the gospel. So by drawing near to God, we will inevitably draw near to one another. Let me say that again. By drawing near to God, we will inevitably draw near to one another. But as soon as we lose sight of God, right, I can't see the vertical, right, and all I see is the horizontal, it's so easy to allow the differences to just rip us apart. It's so easy because nothing can hold us together like God he is universal. He is so fundamental and deep and relates to all. 
Going on to verse 12. So, and we're, we're going to be just going down this chapter together. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. I'm convinced that one of the reasons why God has, in his infinite wisdom, has chosen the analogy of the body to represent the people of God is because the body is a collection of many different parts, right? No single part and no single part can exist on its own. Even the most essential body parts, right? Think like your brain, right? Your heart. Like if something's wrong with them, you will instantly die. Even the most essential ones, quote unquote, your body can't exist, your brain can't exist on its own, or a heart can't exist on its own. We need one another. And just like the feral children that grow up away from human beings are seriously impaired, so it is the same thing when a Christian grows up intentionally away from other Christians will be seriously spiritually impaired. And this should be a warning to all of us not to isolate ourselves. The Word of God constantly warns us against that. And this is especially dire for us because we live in this technological age. We have social media. We can create an illusion of relationships, right? Oh, I seen what this person did yesterday. Oh, you know, I'm seeing what they're doing there. Oh, that's so great. Oh, they had this. And oh, this great news, right? And, and it, it can create, I'm not completely against social media. I think there are many uses of it. But I think that it can create an illusion of relationships, when in reality, there is no real relationship. As soon as, you know, we only, first of all, we only see a small slice of that person's life. We don't see the full person, the real person. And two is, you know, as, as soon as we, you know, we're tired or whatever, we're, we're, you know, we're kind of annoyed or whatever, just swipe away, block the person, whatever, and we're done. We don't have to think about them. They're, they're gone. They're out of our life. We control everything. But the whole point of a relationship is you can't control everything, Right? It's bad news for the control freaks, right? We are meant and designed by God to live in real community, real face-to-face -face interactions where you can't just run away, but you have to interact, you have to talk, you have to engage. The analogy of the body clearly tells us that we as Christians must live in community with one another. It is not normal to isolate ourselves. We need one another. Now, verse 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. What he's saying here is that we are all of equal worth. Notice he says it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Greek. By the way, Jews hated Greeks. The Greeks were the unclean people, right? It's the ungodly, unclean, they're, the, God's going to destroy them really soon, right? The, this whole life, they, they grew up with this kind of prejudice, like looking down upon the Greeks. And God is saying, well, in the body of Christ, it doesn't matter who you were before. You're all in one body. You're all connected. You're all part of the same team, part of the same group, the same family now. It doesn't matter if you're a slave or free, if you were broke or if you're a billionaire, you are all connected. You are now all equal in worth because you are baptized in the one spirit into one body. Not separate bodies, but one body. 
And you see, the world says that we receive our worth through what? Through our function, through what we do, right? What we do determines our worth. That's why the world says, that's why the world is so crazy about pretending as if everyone has the same function. Just for example, the genders, right? Like the man and the wife in, in marriage, right? It's all the same function. Everyone has to do the same thing, right? Because the world can't imagine a world where you can have different functions, you can have different roles, but the same worth. They can't imagine that kind of world. But Christianity says, no, you can have different functions and all of you can still be precious in the sight of God. Why are we precious, church, in the sight of God? It's not because of what we do. It's not our roles. It is because, first of all, we're made in the image of God and that applies to all human beings. And two, if we have believed in Christ, then we have been bought by the precious blood of Christ all of us. And, and, and I don't want anyone here thinking that, well, you know, more of the blood went towards me and paid for me, right? Or, or less for me, right? You can't split up the death of Christ. You can't say, well, 5% went for you, 5% for you, 10 for you, right? You can't do that. Jesus Christ died for all of us. He paid for all of our sins, and we are all equally precious in his eyes. But we have different functions, but it's not related to our worth. You know why? Because if we try to find our worth according to our works, God says, well, according to your works, the wages of sin is death. We all deserve hell according to our works. There is no worth to be found in our function. All we have is dysfunction. We can only find our true worth in Jesus and what he has already done for us. So, going on to verses 14 through 16. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. It doesn't matter what the foot says, right? Or if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. First of all, what we see here is that Everyone has some sort of function. Whether they, they think that they shouldn't be, you know, like the leg is insecure and it thinks that I don't even belong to the body, the ear is insecure, you still have a function. It doesn't matter what you think about yourself. If you are a Christian, then you are a part of the body of Christ and you have a function. And some people brought up, you know, in the past before, like, well, how about the appendix, right? That has no function and, and that just kills you, right? Well, now they're finding, no, there, is, there actually is a function of the appendix and there is value in the appendix. There are no useless body parts in the body of Christ. If you are in the body of Christ, you have a function. You have a role to play for the common good. And what God is saying in these verses, he's addressing people in their insecurity. Isn't it wild that they struggled with the same exact thing that we're struggling with today, right? To almost 2,000 years later, they too were thinking, well because, well, because I don't do this, I don't really belong to the body. You know, I'm just this useless, like, piece of meat that's just hanging on. I'm this dead weight. And God says, no, you're not any less of the body because you don't do what this other person or this other girl does. And notice God does not encourage us to try to change 
their function, right? He doesn't say, okay, well, the ear, if it feels insecure, try to become like an eye or try to do what the eye does, right, the best way possible to match what's popular in the culture at that time. Church, it's so important for us, for each of us, to be comfortable in our own skin. Be comfortable with who God has made you to be. Embrace whom God has made you to be. Own it and maximize it for the glory of God. Who cares whether the world appreciates your role and function in the body of Christ at this time? Who cares if the world glamorizes it? There's such an awesome peace that comes from just fully accepting whom God has made you to be. Not who you want to be, but whom God has made you to actually be. It's almost like we begin to live a whole new life when we just, you know what, I'm just going to accept it. And we stop trying to be a body part that God did not make us to be. And we embrace what God actually designed us to do. It's like, I love this analogy of the body. It's so rich. Imagine right? It's, it's like walking on your hands. You can do that a little bit, right, to impress people at a birthday party, right? But, but, but functionally, to do that, walking on your hands, it, it, it makes zero sense, right? That's not why God gave you arms. That's not why he gave you hands. He gave you legs for that, right? Or it's like closing your eyes and trying to navigate by sound, right? Like, you can do that for a little bit, right? But it's very annoying. It's very frustrating. The ears are not designed for that. They're designed for something else that the eyes can't do, right? If you're deaf and someone's calling you, you, you won't know, right? There's no visual clues, but the ears can pick up on that, right? Or, or you know, trying to read lips with, with your ears plugged, right? I mean, I would horribly fail. Maybe some people are good at that, but, it, but it's, it's frustrating. It's, you're not designed for that, right? I love what um, one preacher said. There's nothing worse than a person that is not in their own place. And I would add the flip side of that is there's almost nothing better than a person that truly is in their place and the body of Christ and serving in that capacity full-heartedly. It's best for that person personally, but also for the rest of the body. Verse 17, going on, it says, For if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? And again, we see that diversity is a good thing. Diversity is part of God's good design. It's good that we don't all have the same function. And here we see that the body of Christ is interdependent. If one part were missing, then the whole body would feel lack. It would experience some kind of problem, right? And church, we are incomplete without one another. Maybe you're sitting there like, I don't know what I can bring. This is what the Word of God says. If you are not doing what God has made you to do, if you are not fulfilling the calling that he has called you to do right now, and I'm not talking about some grandiose purpose, but just right now, what is God, don't overcomplicate it, what is God putting in front of you right now? By the way, when we think of gifts, I think we've mentioned this before in the series, but gift is not a 
a natural talent, like, oh, you're just really gifted in music or something like that. That could be a gift. A natural talent could be a gift that the Spirit sovereignly uses through the natural abilities He's given to you. But it's not just that. If you look at this, the body analogy, if you look at the words that Apostle Paul is using, a gift is just a function. It's an activity. It's something that brings value to the church. That's it. And if we look at the lists of the gifts in the Bible, there is some overlap, but, but it, there's some not overlap, right? Meaning the Bible never gives us an exhaustive list of all the gifts and that's it. Some preachers will actually say that there are as many gifts in the body of Christ as there are needs in the body of Christ, right? So anything we do that's valuable to the church at any particular time, that is a gift. We are helping the common good. It is an activity of function. So I don't want you to like leave like, what's my gift? What's my gift? Just pray, God, use me. Just wake up in the morning and say, God, use me and help me be faithful with whatever it is that you place in front of me today. And just be faithful with that thing. Finish that thing. Say, God, I finished that. What's next? And just keep doing that, and God will use you in amazing and miraculous ways. It will blow your mind. So I don't want you to stress over like, oh, what's my one function, right? But all of us, we have to be ready for God to use us or else the body will be incomplete without one another. Going on, verse 18 says, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. And if, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Remember how we talked about it's important for us to accept who we are, who God has made us to be, our gifts, our roles, our function. Well, in verse 18, there's a very clear statement here. It says that God himself is the one who has chosen our roles and our functions. It's super important. We don't choose our gifts. God chooses. Your gifts did not come to you by, you know, like random chance. Like God wasn't, you know, on a slot machine when he was creating us. Like, you know, here's all the combinations. Uh, and that's what you're going to get, right? It wasn't good luck or bad luck. You might think, well, why does this person do this? And, and, but but I, I don't know what, what I do. No. God has thought through everything. God knows you and your entire life and all your experiences and everything that happened. And he has arranged all of that sovereignly for according to his infinite wisdom. And he's not punishing you by not giving you something that you might want at this particular moment. I remember I was, I had this like, I was talking to this pastor years ago, and I was sharing some of my fears about ministry with him. And I told him, I'm like, I'm really, I have this like deep, irrational fear that God will for some reason, want me to go move to, like, the most remote part of the country, right? Uh, somewhere where I don't want to live, right? And, and, and have me serve at some, like, dying church, right? And, and, and the reason why I was really afraid of that, real reasons, I was just so afraid of, like, 
working and working and working and working without ever making any real difference. I think we all fear that to a degree, right? It's like, what's the point? It's like pouring into a bucket as a whole, right? And that, that idea of spending years of pouring into this bucket where everything just comes out and there's no value to that terrified me. And I will never forget how he responded. He laughed first, and then he said, Peter, if God tells me today that I need to go and move to Antarctica and preach to the penguins for the rest of my life, I will go and gladly do that because then I will be at the center of God's will for my life. And it's just like, it just clicked. It hit the nail on the head. And because it's true, I understood all that, but it, I applied it, the, the truth, God's truth to my life that if God wants to send me even to that most remote part of the country and have me just serve at some dying church where it feels like nothing ever came about of all my efforts and all my hard work, if that is truly what God wants in his infinite wisdom, in his infinite love, in his infinite power towards me as his son, then that's what I want to do. Because I trust him more than I trust myself. I trust that God will use me more than I can use myself for God. He's the wise one, not me. I just need to be obedient, and I can only mess things up by being disobedient and not being faithful to what he has called me to. Church, we do not need to fear the will of God for our life. We need to embrace it. It is beautiful. It is a good thing. It is a precious thing. Church, may we trust in God's arrangement of all things. Amen? Verse 21, going on. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor can the head say to the feet, I have no need of you. So before we were talking about the insecure people, now we're talking to the proud people, right? But let's be honest. The Corinthians struggled with insecurity and pride, and all of us do as well, and probably everyone struggles with both insecurity and pride at the same time, right? There are times when we could look at Christians and, and think, man, life would be so much easier without you, right? If you weren't around, it would be so much simpler, right? It, Things would go so much smoother if, one, just you weren't around, or two, you were just like me, right? Wouldn't it be so easy if everyone in this life was just like us? It'd be great. I know it actually won't, but it feels like that, right? And we see this happening between generations, right? The younger at the older, older at the younger. There's personality differences. We see this people that have, you know, cultural differences. It's naturally really difficult for us to accept people who are different than us, right? You're not an eye. You don't belong to the body. You're not an arm. You don't belong to the body. But the word of God expressly forbids this type of thinking. Humility in Christ is what we need. Verses 22 says, On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on the, these parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our, on our unpresentable parts, are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. 
But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. So what we see here is God is saying clearly, emphatically, that the weaker parts are extremely important, and we are meant to bestow greater honor on those who lack it. Church, there is no room for exaltation in the church. There's no room for that at all. Everyone is to be honored. Everyone is to be respected, no matter their role in the church. There is no room, church, in the church for elitism. There is no room for cliques. There is no room for cool people and uncool people. That goes completely against the heart of Christianity. Completely. And I know we still do it, but because we're fallen and we're sinful, but we need to fight it. There is no room for that in the church. And Christ, he shows us the example by stooping down at the Last Supper and washing the feet of all of his disciples when all of them refused to wash their own feet, each other's feet. We are all children of the Most High God. We are all bought by the precious blood of Christ. There is no functionality, there is no status that is even able to come close to the worth that we already have in Christ. Going on, verse 25 says that there may be no division in the body and that, there, that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So you notice God distributes honor to the parts that lack it so that for the purpose of, verse 25, there would be no division just like we covered, no elitism, no levels of Christians, no cool or uncool. We're all together. God hates division amongst his own children. The reason God doesn't want division, and there's a reason why he hates division, is it says, verse 25, that the members may have the same care for one another. That's the reason God hates division. Because the moment we create classes, right, stratas, levels of Christians, is the moment that we stop caring for the people beneath us, right? We, we, we create distinctions, and that hardens our heart towards those whom we think are beneath us, and we stop caring for them as much. First comes the pride of placing people beneath us, then comes the cold-heartedness towards them, and out of that cold-heartedness flows a lack of care. But when we are rooted in the gospel, in the precious life of Christ, and the sacrifice that he has made on the behalf of all of us, when we are in the one spirit that binds us all together, we will not create those worldly distinctions and divisions. We will all be equal in each other's eyes. We will truly care for one another when we are equal in each other's eyes. We will have real empathy, true empathy, which verse 26 talks about. If one suffers, all suffer. If one is honored, everyone rejoices. This is where the analogy of the body is so powerful. Again, each body part shares in one another's pain and joy, right? If your back hurts, is the rest of your body having fun 
in a party, right? No. Like, you, you know, if your back hurts, you're not going to go to the masseuse and, like, get a massage on your foot, right? You're not going to enjoy the foot massage if you've got back pain, right? You're going to say, no, do the back, right? If, if let's say, I just love this analogy, you, you hurt your leg, right? Well, you can get crutches, and for the time being, your arms can help support while your leg is healing, right? You share in that pain and you support one another, right? If your right arm gets hurt, you're going to use your left, your left hand, right, to like brush your teeth or whatever until your right hand heals, right? We feel each other's pain and by feeling it, we help one another. We care for one another. If your head hurts, the rest of your body doesn't say, well, you're out of luck, buddy, right? No, your legs walk over to the medicine cabinet. Your arms open the, the medicine cabinet. You open the Tylenol. You put it in your mouth. Your mouth swallows it, right? Your stomach digests it, and you get relief for your head, and not just for your head, but for the rest of your body. Church, it's a beautiful, beautiful image, and I know oftentimes we're so far from that, but, but that's what God's calling us to. And we should strive towards that. That's God's vision. Are we going to ever get it down perfectly? I'm going to bet probably not, right? Because that's the same thing as saying, are we going to ever be perfectly sinless? Probably not. Apostle Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3, right? And so, so we're called to press on. That's the standard, and that's the standard we should always be striving towards until the very end, until Jesus comes back, takes us, and then he, by his spirit, enables us to truly live like that forever and ever in heaven. As I call the band up, I want to look at the last verses of this text, and that's 27. Read with me. Now, you are the body of Christ, and individually, members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. So Paul kind of summarizes that we're all part of the body of Christ, that we're members of it individually, and then he says, he reminds us that God is the one who appoints right, the gifts, the functions, and that not all of us are supposed to do the same thing. And then he ends in a very interesting way, which kind of seems to kind of contradict what he was saying before that. And he says, he just said, God is the one who apportions. So in a way, he's saying, like, be content, be humble. And then he says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, now, if you read the commentaries on, on this specific phrase, it's just all across, all over the board, right? But the one that made, makes most sense for me is Paul just finished saying, be content, be humble, God's the one that's giving it, don't exalt yourself over others. And it's almost like he's trying to counter an inappropriate reaction to his words of just total passivity, right? 
It's just like, well, if God gives me a gift, uh, you know, if he kind of smacks me on the head with a gift, I'll go do it, right? If God, and if he doesn't, well, then it's his fault, right? You didn't give me that gift, so I'm not going to go out there and try to do anything, you know. I'm, I'm content, right, with what you gave me. And it's almost like, yes, we need to be humble and content with what God has entrusted to us. But on the other hand, we should not, like, you know how they say, like, you see this phrase all the time, like, never settle, right? In a sense, we should never settle. We should never become complacent in the sense that we should always seek. What is the higher gift? What is earnestly desire of the higher, the higher gift, the higher functionality? Seek to be useful in a bigger way to the body of Christ. Always seek to be more useful. How can I give more? How can I serve more? How can I bless more people through what I do? Remember, a gift is not just a natural talent. It's any sort of useful function in the church. He's saying, don't be complacent. And then he says, and I'll show you a greater way, and what he's going to point to is love. And that's for next week, uh, and we're going to be talking about love there, but as we stand, let's stand together. We're going to give you a minute right now to just pray, just you and God. But may we meditate upon God's beautiful design for his church and our role and our function in it today. May we remember that we need one another. May we not look down upon one another May we remember that we cannot exist apart from one another. And may, church, we love one another. And that's going to be the next chapter. But it's all about that. So let's, let's stand and have some quiet prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your beautiful design. I thank you that we are part of your body. We're connected to you. We're not some other thing on the outside, but we are literally with you, as close to you as possible, as close as the creature can be to the creator. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that the same spirit indwells in us and the same spirit apportions to each one of us how you need us to be useful to one another. I pray that all of us, Lord, would make much of you, that none of us would isolate ourselves, but we would live in the community you call us to live in, that we would love one another, care for one another, and serve one another the way that you have designed. Lord, please help us. Lord, we thank you. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.